Bread is life. In fact, my entire family absolutely loves bread. But I like to make sure that what we're eating counts. And if you're like me, you're going to love Hero Bread. Hero Bread makes those same delicious bready favorites free of consequences or compromises. They have remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar and protein and fiber. Think of that soft, fluffy experience that you love when you're enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. But now it's made to really nourish you deeply. Hero Bread has something for every favorite, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. My team tried Hero Bread and said it was the most fulfilling thing ever, but it also felt lighter and healthier. So switch to Hero Bread now and you won't be disappointed. They even have a monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites like the 2 gram net carb herb croissant or the 1 gram net carb herb cheddar biscuit. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code yogagirl at checkout. That's yogagirl at h-e-r-o dot c-o. Welcome, 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 my darlings. It's time for a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart. I hope you are doing well on this January day. I am sitting here at my little home office slash tea room, which is growing into a more beautiful space every single day. I finally feel, honestly, today sitting down in here, I finally feel like it's getting as cozy in here as I really want it. I have a little armchair now. Um, that I actually couldn't fit through the door. (laughs) I bought this really cozy, kind of fluffy, scruffed up white armchair to be my podcast chair. In Aruba, I had this rattan kind of um, like one of those natural fiber kind of throne looking chairs, like a really intense one. And I just wanted a soft, fluffy one here in Sweden. And it's been in our living room for about a month since we came because we haven't had a couch yet. And then our couch arrived and then I went to put the armchair in my office space and it didn't fit through the door. (laughs) Dennis was away. This was like middle of the night. I get really determined to finish things when I start. So on my own, like Leia was asleep, it's pitch black, freezing cold, snow outside. I'm like, I'm going to get this armchair into my office right now. And I'm not going to wait for anyone to help me. So I carried it out through the front door. <laughs> and then I had to walk all around the house carrying this armchair that was way heavier than it actually looked to get it through So in the office, I have this like patio door. It's like a glass door out to the deck to get it through that door because that door is bigger. And then I get there after getting getting it all the way around the house, like feeling really strong and independent and good and resourceful. And then that freaking door won't open properly. So it only opens halfway. There was like a latch, like, I don't know, a kid's like security safety thing. And I didn't know because I never exited or entered through that door. So I had to start over and bring it all the way back inside and then find like figure out that like latch thing with some sort of window key. It was a whole project. Okay. (laughs) But then finally, I got the chair inside. I made it really cozy. I have candles lit now. I put some plants in, like it's really getting there. And then that night, finally, you know, Dennis comes home and I'm like, look what I did. And he's like, oh, you brought the armchair into the office. Great. And I'm like, 
you don't, you don't, you don't understand. <laughs> this was, this was a whole project. He was like, yeah, okay, sure, sure. But it's fun, or at least it feels feels really grounding to sit here recording the podcast in this cozy little armchair, looking out at the lake and all the pine and spruce trees outside. And it's kind of a weird day today because all of a sudden it's warm-ish. All of a sudden it's like plus eight or something after having, we've had just snow and minus and sub-zero degrees since we came, really winter weather. And then today, this morning, I woke up and it's it looks like spring is coming all of a sudden, like the sky is blue, all the snow is gone, every last piece of part of patch of snow has just melted and everything just like, like there's a lawn underneath the snow to our right, to the right of the house. And I'm like, well, like everything is green now. What is going on? The lake is still frozen, but it has a layer of water. So it just looks like the lake is a lake again, you know? It's it's interesting or fascinating to me to be back living in a place that has seasons and living in a place that has a landscape that is this changing all the time. I really love it. You know, living in Aruba, living in the Caribbean, it's the same thing every day, all year round. And I used to really love that. I used to really love the consistency of that and that the sun was shining every single day and that it's always warm and you just like put on your flip-flops and go outside, you know, that's that's the thing. And um, of course, it got a little bit dull in the end, you know, even living in Costa Rica, Costa Rica has a really serious raining season. So there is like the low season, the raining season, the winter season there. And it just, it rains a lot. It's always warm, but it rains a lot, but at least there is that sort of shift in the weather, you can tell. But in Aruba, you know, there's no raining season. It never really rains. The only difference you notice is that the sun will set 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes later um, in the summer versus the winter. But that's that's it. That's the only change. So here I feel every day I wake up and I run to the window and I'm like, what's what's the landscape today? Because everything looks just a little bit different every day when I wake up. And it's it's exciting. And it's really beautiful to to live this life where I feel really in tune with nature. So I really get to notice these changes and these shifts in a way I didn't used to before. Just even now, I just dropped Leia off at school. Holy shit, by the way. Yeah, I got to tell you about that. Leia has started school in Sweden for the first time. This is our third day. Um, But yeah, we dropped her off and then came back and then I'm walking the dogs. And uh, everything smells different. You know, you know, the snow kind of puts this layer of insulation over everything, which is so beautiful and quiet. But as soon as the snow melts, there's there's different sounds and different scents coming from the woods. So suddenly I can smell the woods again in a way that you just can't when there's snow on the ground. And just walking the dogs today, I just felt like, oh, like it's and everything is really wet in Sweden. We call it slusk, which is like it's the mush when the snow is melting and it's and it's, you know, blending with rain and the gravel underneath. And it's just brown and kind of yucky and really, really, really wet. It's like that um, slushy. It's slush. Yeah, of course. Slusk is slush. That's the word. And, you know, that's not really like our favorite thing over here. You know, it's not so fun to take a walk through literal like brown slush, you know. But out here, because we're in the countryside, it's different. We don't get that city slush, which is really, really gross. But it's still slush, you know, it like really like makes you really wet. And it's yeah, 
like I have to really, really clean the dogs off paw by paw before we go inside because they're just soaking wet. But even walking through the slush today, I just felt, I felt really excited and really, really grateful to get to take these little walks with the dogs, even though, and I don't know if this is a thing, you, you're, you're all going to have to let me know if this is a thing for property owners, people who, if you don't live in an apartment, but there is, there is poop <laughs> thawing. <laughs> that is like being uncovered now. So every time I walk the dogs, of course, I pick up after the dogs. Like we have a big, it's a big property here. So there's a lot of space to walk. Every time I catch them pooping, you know, I pick it up and I throw it away, of course. But there's a lot of poops that we don't catch, you know, like Dennis is a little bit more lazy than I am. So in the mornings, he he tends to, unless I'm there and like make him go outside, he tends to just open the door and just lets the dog out, let, let all the dogs out, which means there's, you know, hidden poops in the snow that they have taken on their own that, that we haven't seen. And I've been telling him this. I'm like, you really need to keep an eye. And every single time you see anyone, just catch them, like always have the baggies with you. Like it's, it's, it's important, you know, because in the springtime, all of the snow, it doesn't matter in the snow, you know, they take a poop and it freezes and then it gets buried in the snow, but it's going to thaw. Like what's hidden in the snow is going to come up in spring and like defrosted, thawed poops. <laughs> Ew, can't believe I'm talking about this. It, they're not, they're not so fun to pick up. And also they're not so fun to accidentally step in. And, you know, like we're going to want to be barefoot all around this property when it comes, when it becomes summertime. And, and then it has been like, yeah, yeah. And then today on my walk, yeah, I, I, I found, I found a couple, not, not so fun. <laughs> but anyway, it is kind of exciting to, to have these little shifts and changes every single day. I am appreciating that about Sweden for sure. Also, I'm in, I don't know if I said this yet. I think, I feel like it's been so busy and intense over the past couple of months, but I'm doing a permaculture certification course. <laughs> Side note, I'm doing this major thing. <laughs> I made a major decision and I'm doing this major, very intense thing. Yeah, I, I decided to get my permaculture certification, which is a really exciting thing. And I feel like I'm, I'm going to need to have one of the teachers on the podcast or something just to, to talk about permaculture because it's so fascinating and it's such a big, big, big topic. Are you ready for spring? I sure am. Over here in Sweden, I make it my business to get outside and get some sunlight on my skin each and every day. But in the winter, that can be really hard and your body will feel the effect of that. Did you know that 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Luckily, Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. Ritual is a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. You get nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. And the best part, you can trust what you are putting in your body because Ritual has the USP verified mark. That means that the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. And only 1% of supplement brands are able to get this mark. So it's a big deal. Rituals multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I have taken Ritual for years because of reasons like this. I love knowing that the ingredients in my vitamins are actually doing their job. Otherwise, what's the point? 
No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. So if you've, if you've never heard of permaculture before, which I'm sure you have, but it's basically how to design and develop an ecosystem to grow food and basically designing a, a, whole, a whole home on your land to become really sustainable and self-sufficient. And it's something I have had in the back of my mind for a really long time. Um, my Actually, my very, very first ever experience of of permaculture was in Costa Rica my first year there and one of my best friends in Costa Rica has a permaculture farm and you know I was what 19 at the time when I came there the first time he had just bought this property and literally just bought the property there was no structure even on the house he hadn't built anything there was a little shack like a tiny little shack on sitting on the property that's it and this was yeah I was 19 he had just gone this property and he had a dream of wanting to wanting to create this huge permaculture farm and wanted to do a yoga retreat center and wanted to have a big yoga deck and wanted to gather people you know and i remember we were we were there on this property sitting by this little shack on this ridge overlooking the ocean and he's telling me about all his dreams for the space his name is josh he's a brother of mine, one of my, yeah, one of my most special, special friends. And I was sitting there and we were just dreaming about the future. And I was like, well, he's like, what do you want to do? This is what I'm going to do. This is my big dream. What's, what's your big dream? And I go, well, I want to, I want to teach yoga. I want to travel. I want to teach yoga. And I want to, I want to really immerse myself in that. And I was at the time, I wasn't even I wasn't even a yoga teacher. You know, I was just practicing yoga really intensely. But I can, I really remember this moment just so clearly because it was one of my first moments really thinking of wanting to design something specific for my future. And of course, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I ended up returning to that same space when it had become a yoga teacher, uh, not a yoga teacher, but a place for yoga teacher trainings, but it became a yoga retreat center permaculture farm, all those things. Josh ended up founding or co-founding Envision Festival, which is this beautiful festival in Costa Rica that I, I go to every year. So it's kind of like all of those dreams came true and came to be. And I remember being 19 years old, getting this tour of the farm for the first time. And since then I've had, I don't know how many tours of the farm, but every year it keeps growing. It keeps getting more and more amazing. I used to do retreats there every single year or it's 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 been a while now we were there we were there my last let's see pre-pandemic so yeah 2020 we were there to visit with Leia and, and Dennis but it was my first experience of permaculture anything and I remember him explaining you know permaculture it's all about really aligning with the natural rhythms of nature and the natural cycle of the ecosystem. So you shouldn't actually have to use pesticides and all of these unnatural things in nature, because if everything is in balance, the way nature intended it, then you don't have those problems. And it was just a lot of really creative ways to grow your own food. And I, I remember having this feeling of like, oh, but 
So why, 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 why aren't everybody doing it this way? You know, I didn't know really how conventional farming worked versus traditional farming. But I remember thinking, well, if this makes so much sense and this is so easy because it seemed really simple. Actually, permaculture is fairly complex when you get into it, especially now studying permaculture design. <laughs> but it's it's actually really, really, really simple. A lot of it is like, it's just like, well, yeah, duh, <laughs> that makes so much sense. But it's just not how things are done, right? Because, you know, a permaculture farm doesn't necessarily maximize the amount of profit, you know, in the moment that you can get from one plot of land, you know, which is kind of how, how farming works today. You know, it's all, of course, for many reasons, part of capitalism and it's part of, you know, making a profit and people aren't really growing their own food anymore, right? Food is sold. And every farmer now or corporation or, you know, the big agricultural um, corporations, they want to maximize their their yield every single year and make as much money from every square inch of land, right? And permaculture works just in a completely different way where you really align your own life, including the house you live in and your own waste and, you know, what happens with your gray water and how you're preserving or not preserving water and the crops and the, and the foods and the plants that you choose to grow and the diversity you introduce to the land and how you compost. I mean, every single, it's not just vegetables, right? It's not just growing your own food. It's the whole, it's the whole cycle of your life and how you live. And um, I'm doing this course and I, <laughs> all I know, and you've heard this on this show because I talk about it constantly and all the time. All I know is I want to grow my own food. Okay. That's, that's it. I have no, you know, I think a lot of people in this course are planning to become permaculture designers where you work with other people and you take on clients to help them realize their dreams and uh, you help them assess their land and give proposal for, proposals for how to do it the permaculture way, right? And I have, of course, like I have no intention of doing that. I just really want to learn and <laughs> figure out what to do on, on this land here. <laughs> and... Um, one of the teachers, and I'm going to share details about all this at the end of the course when I'm done. So in a couple of months, I'll share I'll share more specifics, but I'm just keeping it to myself for now. But um, one of the teachers was saying, you know, like you never have, you never have a pest. There's no such thing as a pest problem. She was saying there's no such thing as a problem with one specific pest. You have a shortage of something else. Um, so she was saying, like, I never had a snail problem. I had a duck shortage. So if you have a lot of snails, you need to introduce ducks to your land. Like, so it's it's more looking at, at at looking at at nature in that sense. Like, what chain has been broken in the natural ecosystem here that allows there to be this huge invasion of one species that is eating all your food or eating all your plants or um, messing things up in a sense. And where I am now, like this plot of land here, so it's adjacent to my grandfather's old house and my dad's land. And they have here so many fruit trees. And I don't know how this happened. It's it's one of those things that like, I think my dad, he's a really fascinating, he's a little bit eccentric. And he just get, he just gets it in his head that he he wants a lot of something. So I think when my grandfather lived here, he started planting a lot of apple trees. 
And it started out with like a couple of apple trees in the garden, right? Like a normal, like a normal person. And then some strawberries and then some raspberries and then added some pears. And then all of a sudden it was just really, I think they felt it was so beautiful to have this beautiful yield of apples and pears every year. And the trees were doing really well. This is apparently like this plot of land is apparently really, the soil is really rich and it's really easy to grow things. So you know, a couple of years in, all of a sudden there's 300 fruit trees here and the land isn't massive. So it's basically, basically there's an orchard. There's an orchard here. There's 300 fruit trees on this plot of land, mainly apple trees. There's some peach. There's a lot of pear, mainly apple. And my dad has the moment we moved in, he's like, okay, well you prepare to get ready to deal with the vole. The voles. I don't know the plural of vole. Vole is in, in Swedish. It's called a sork. It's like I actually didn't know this English word before. It's the under. It's an underground ant. It's kind of like a field mouse, but a little bit bigger. That lives underground, and they dig these tunnels under the earth, and they eat the roots, mainly the roots of trees. And guess what? Voles really love. Well, they fucking love apple trees. <laughs> which isn't so surprising, right? So for years, my dad has had this issue on the land here that there there's voles or, vole, vole or voles, there's field mice that are eating all the roots and just killing off the trees. And he's like, you know, pulling his hair out, trying to figure out how to deal with this. And they've done some really invasive stuff here that I really, really don't agree with that I will not allow anyone to continue as long as I'm around. But like they are smoking these animals out. They've been trying to, they've used, he, according to him, they did everything the organic way, they did everything the sustainable way, nothing worked. And then they went to like poison and like really trying to keep, kill off um, this massive invasion of these underground animals that are just killing all the trees. And I go, but why did you do that? That is not that is not the way, you know, killing all these animals that you are attracting in the first place. And he's like, well, what's the option? The option is to lose everything we grow. And I get like I, I, I was in Aruba in my own garden, pulling my own hair out because of the freaking lizards eating all of my tomatoes and all of my cucumber plants and all of my zucchinis and all of my peas and they ate everything. And I was you know, Googling away for like trying to not lose my mind over these lizards and iguanas that were eating everything I grew. Because of course, taking the time to tend to a garden and then having it all eaten by one thing, you know, it's incredibly frustrating. So you end up taking more severe measures, right? And I think that's what happened with my dad in this case. Just every year it got worse and worse and worse. And now he's accepted it as a constant. It's just the voles are here. They live here. They're never going to go away. It's just an invasion of them. And now that I'm in this course, like it's all just stunningly obvious, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's really, really, really obvious why this issue is here in the first place. So anytime that there is, or not anytime, but oftentimes, at least this is what I'm learning now, that when there is an invasion, like an overpopulation of one specific animal, and of course, each animal enjoys eating really specific things like the field mice and the voles. They like to eat the roots of specifically apple trees. <laughs> Apparently, like that's the case here. It means that there's there's not enough diversity on the land, 
right? So chances are if there were more variety of crops and plants and fruits and other things growing here and not just these very specific fruit trees, then that kind of diversity would attract a variety of different kinds of animals and not just specific animals that like to eat that one specific thing. And of course, this being like a populated and you know, maintained area, it means that the natural predators of the field mice aren't present here the way they would be in a natural ecosystem. So the foxes that not naturally would be here or the wolves or the birds that eat them, they're not as present anymore, right? So I'm really trying to not get to the bottom of this issue in that sense, but I really am fascinated by the idea of restoring the natural balance of the ecosystem so that you end up, you know, in an, in a place of alignment where you're not attracting just one kind of, of animal that wreaks havoc on the, on the food that you're trying to grow, right? And of course, I'm not an expert, like I'm just learning about this stuff, but I feel it so deeply in my core that the solution to this is not poison, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone like feels in their heart like the solution to anything is poison. And it's really reminding me of, you know, my own vegetable garden in Aruba and how I actually on my own messed with the ecosystem in my garden without really being aware of it. So also the same with field mice and things like that, just those kinds of animals that are a little bit bigger. They don't like humans, right? They don't like loud noises. It, they're not going to show up in areas that are that are busy, right? And same goes for the iguanas and the lizards. Like the iguanas and the lizards don't like to hang out, at least the wild ones. If you go to the hotels in Aruba, you can literally feed iguanas mango with your hand. Like they will eat out of your hand like puppies. <laughs> but in the wild, like not tame ones, they're scared of, of people, right? So we had this space where I, I had these garden boxes in our little garden space. And the first thing that that normally used to be is that the dogs and me and Dennis and Leia and our friends, we would walk back and forth in this area. The dogs were really present in that garden area all the time. So we never used to see iguanas there. We never used to have lizards there. And the reason I know that is because iguanas take really big, gross poops. <laughs> and I never had to clean any iguana poop there, like almost ever. And then we put these garden boxes in and still no problem, no lizards. You know, I had a whole like Aruban growing season of of crops, like several months of, of growing my foods and no issues, no lizards, no iguanas. And then I started having the problem that the dogs would get into the beds. I don't know why. Like, I don't know why they like to, to eat the soil. They like to play in there. I just I kept finding the dogs in the dog beds, especially Laika, our oldest and eventually she started digging up my plants. Just, I don't know what the hell she's searching for. She's just a digger. And it drove me insane. It drove me super crazy. Like, you know, of course, I've carefully planted these plants and then she's just digging it up by the roots. So I go, I have a dog problem here, right? I need to, I need to take care of this dog problem. So I had Dennis put up a fence and make this delineation of, of my garden so that the dogs couldn't enter. Um, so he built a fence from scratch, my little my little handyman. I had a moment there where I thought Dennis was going to become like a handy carpenter man of the earth. <laughs> it was very short lived, but it was it was mid pandemic. He had nothing else to do. You know, he like built a, co a complete fence for me. So the dogs couldn't enter anymore. So the dogs disappeared. 
And guess what happened? Immediately, the lizards and the iguanas showed up because they were not present in my garden because the dogs were there all the time and the dogs eat them, right? And scare them. So they weren't there. I took the dogs away. I messed with my own little ecosystem. The iguanas and the lizards show up, right? And they start eating everything, everything. I mean, I had a couple of weeks where I would I would wake up in the morning really early, run to the garden, and I would sit there with the, the gun setting on my hose. You know, the garden hose, like you can click them into different settings. And there's that really hardcore, just one super intense spray that like kind of hurts a little bit, you know, like who even uses that? It's like, I don't know, that's the setting on the hose to like, pressure wash a wall or something. I don't know whoever uses that setting. It's not meant for watering plants anyway, because you'll 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 break them. But I would sit, I would I would literally bring my coffee, my morning coffee into the garden where I put a chair in the middle of the garden. I would sit there holding my garden hose like I was holding a BB gun and just look left, look right, look behind me, look above me, look below me. As if I was, you know, I was I was I was guarding my <laughs> guarding my garden from intruders. And after a while, I just, I started losing it a little bit. I became so obsessed with keeping the lizards out of the garden and I couldn't. And I knew I don't want to use any poison. I don't want to introduce poison into my garden. Of course not. I don't want to kill them. I don't want to put out traps. I did everything. I even got one of those. It's like a high pitch. What are, what were they called? Like an ultrasonic. It's a sound device thing. And it's actually, I think it's meant for mice and rats and, and field mice and things like that. So it's a, a thing you put in the garden and when it detects motion, it activates and it releases this really, really, really high pitched noise that we can't hear, but animals can. And it's supposed to to keep them away. And uh, it worked on the dogs. I remember I had the, I had that gate open one time and then the dogs came in and they just ran right out. But it didn't work on the iguanas. Like the iguanas don't care about ultra supersonic noises. They don't care at all. And uh, I just couldn't keep up anymore. They were eating things faster than I could plant them. A consistent body care routine is really important part of my self-care. I feel so much better when my skin is looking and feeling good. It's such a small thing that has a big impact on your overall day for your well-being. A consistent body care routine doesn't just promote healthy, glowing skin. It actually boosts our mental health, too. So give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven seaweed-infused skincare that provides results you can see and confidence that you can feel. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Butter is not your typical body butter. It transforms dry, crepey skin to smooth, soft, and supple skin, and it's my absolute favorite. I use Osea's products religiously, and I have been for years. It really is the best out there. One of the best parts about the body butter is that it's non-greasy. I hate putting on body lotion and feeling slippery and sticky all day, but Osea's body butter absorbs right into your skin, leaving you feeling hydrated and ready to make the best of whatever is next on your agenda. And it's been shown to hydrate you for 72 hours after applying. Skin care is self-care, so this is a habit worth keeping all year round. With Osea, you will get clean, seaweed-infused products from a company with over 27 years of experience, making sure they are the safest for your skin and the planet. All of Osea's products are vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. 
Glow from the inside out with clean skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. So I was just going totally crazy. I tried everything, everything, everything I could. I had this special lizard spray that I made. I made these huge concoctions of uh, jalapeno and chili peppers and cayenne peppers that I would boil down with garlic. And just basically, I would make this crazy hot sauce vinegar thing that I would spray all around my plants because what it was supposed to do is taste, make make the plants taste really disgusting. Like the, the idea was that they would take a bite of the plant and go, ooh, that was really spicy. I don't like it. And then not return. That did not happen. Lizards don't give a shit about jalapenos. They will eat spicy food. I feel like they like, they even liked my, <laughs> my keep the lizard away spray that I tried to make all organic. Didn't work. Nothing worked. And then finally, I think it was Dennis who had this idea. He's like, you know how at the hotel's all the palm trees are wrapped in a layer of steel or like a layer of like a sheet of metal. And I'm like, yeah, like now that I think of it, a lot of the hotels, they have these planted palm trees there on the premises and they have a couple of feet of almost like it's like an aluminum wrap on the bottom. And we go, well, that it's gotta be to keep the iguanas from climbing up the tree because up in the tree, what do they do? Well, they poop down onto tourists and that that's not cool, right? So Dennis goes, okay, what if I wrap all the garden boxes with a sheet of aluminum? Then the, the lizards, maybe they can't climb that and they can't get into the box anymore and problem will be solved. I mean, this was for us. This was all, all, all I spoke about for several months were the lizards eating, <laughs> eating my cucumbers. So he did that, bless his heart. <laughs> Bless his heart. He wrapped every individual. How many boxes did I have? Like six or seven. I had a lot of garden boxes. The garden was really big in the end. He individually wraps each box with a sheet of aluminum. And guess what? It worked. It worked. It actually worked. So the lizards would still enter the garden, but they couldn't climb up into the boxes. So in the end, the only... Because I guess they have, they, they need something to grip, right, to climb, and the aluminum is too slippery, so they just couldn't get it. And I was prepared. I told Dennis, if they if they can still climb it, I'm gonna go out every morning and spray olive oil on the aluminum to make sure it's really slippery. So they, <laughs> I, I'm basically the 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 villains in Home Alone. That's that's what I'm resorting to now. You know how the boy, what does he do? He pours something slippery or I I can't remember. I've watched the movie so many times. Why don't I remember? Anyway, I didn't have to do that. I could stop plotting my lizard removal challenges because they couldn't climb it, right? So everything's fine. So I had about five minutes of major celebration that, woo, it worked. Lizards and iguanas can't climb the aluminum walls of the boxes anymore. They can't get into the plants. And the garden is saved. Woo! Yeah, I don't know. Two days later, I mean, it, it was pretty immediate. The white flies came. And the white flies, if you don't know what a white fly is, oh, I just I just shuddered. I just shivered, like just at, by thinking of the white flies. They are these tiny little flies, like gnats, but they come, or at least for me, they came in 
in an invasion that was so much worse than the lizards were, so much worse than the dogs were. And guess why I didn't have any whitefly problems in the garden? Because the lizards ate the whiteflies. Okay, so <laughs> I had dogs. I removed the dogs. The lizards came. I removed the lizards. The whiteflies came. And the whiteflies, I couldn't control. So the whiteflies, the only way really, if you have an invasion of whiteflies, is to use poison and pesticides. And I didn't want to do that. I, I couldn't control it. I, I really, I really couldn't. I lost, I think, my entire garden that part of that season to the whiteflies. This is kind of like at the end of, of before, before the mold came. I, I, I couldn't control it. And they would, they would go and sit underneath the plants. Basically, what they do is they, they suck the life out of a plant. So I would turn my leaf, like my zucchini leaf. I would just see like my zucchini is dying and I couldn't see why from the outside. And then I would turn a leaf around and the back of that leaf would be white from how many white flies were there. Like they were just, it was just, I had a, <laughs> I had a time where <laughs> I'm like, I'm embarrassed to say this. I went to the hardware store and I got one of those hand vacuums. How, how did no one stop me? Like, why? Did, how did my, how did my friends allow me to go on like this? I bought a hand vacuum. And every day I would go outside and I would vacuum the back of my leaves. <laughs> because I couldn't get rid of the white flies and I didn't want to kill them. So... Okay, true story. I would go out and I would vacuum the back of all the leaves of all of my plants. I mean, you can just imagine the time this would take me. And then I didn't want to kill the, the flies, but I was also really terrified to release them back because they would just find their way back to my garden. So I would do that. And then I would, I mean, then I would have a handheld vacuum that was just crawling with white flies on the inside. And they would, they would come out of the cracks of it. Like it wasn't completely sealed. So I would take a garbage bag, like a big plastic bag, wrap it around, go in the car. Like I put this atomic bomb of white flies go in the car drive all the way to the water tank which is this hill like really get far away from our house drive all the way to the top of the hill and then open up the plastic bag and open up the vacuum and release the white flies back into the wild in the desert <laughs> and there was this one time I did this and I'm standing there and then I'm opening up the bag of the vacuum and the wind turned and they, I, I ate, I ate them. I had like a break, I had like white fly breakfast. They were all over my face, all in my mouth and my nose. And I didn't once stop and, and go, this is, this is crazy. There was not one part of me that thought that that was crazy. <laughs> I thought vacuuming all of my plants and then releasing <laughs> releasing a swarm of pests into the desert. This is totally normal. This is gardening, right? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I mean, this is what I did. And then after that, I tried I tried neem oil. I tried different kinds of I mean, I tried I there's nothing I didn't try. I did the dish soap thing. I did the diatomaceous earth whatever you call it. I can't pronounce that. I know that. I did everything. It didn't go. 
But now, of course, like it's really clear to me, if I would have just let the dogs be there, because a dog once in a while, it wasn't like every day they were pulling out all my plants by the roots, but once in a while, one of the dogs would trample a bed. That was way better than losing all of my plants to white flies, right? And this is just like a tiny example of this, right? But And it's also, we had a functioning ecosystem in our garden because it had been undisturbed for a really long time. That doesn't mean that that ecosystem is natural and fully in alignment with what Aruba's nature really was meant to be, right? Because we have built, there's houses everywhere, there are urban areas everywhere, there's a lot of pollution. Like, I mean, there's human beings have interfered with nature for so long, So it's hard to tell even what is the original system supposed to be like. But I think it's less about fixing stuff, right? (laughs) And more about getting out of the way and maybe giving nature a little bit of support to help her realign with the way things are supposed to be. And uh, I wish I would have let, I wish I would have left the dogs there. I wish we never built that fence. You know, it would have been a really different thing, but it was such a good learn, such a good lesson for me. So that's what I'm planning for here now. I am, I'm, I'm doing as much research as I can about these voles and these field mice here and um, wanting to figure out what, what can I introduce into this ecosystem here on this land that might attract natural predators of the field mice. I can think in that way. What are some trees I can plant or some plants that can grow or something I can introduce here, maybe another kind of animal or something else that will naturally attract the predators of the vole so that I don't have to introduce any poison or do anything crazy to to get the population of field mice to, to, to grow a little bit smaller, right? Or can I introduce more diversity in terms of what's growing on the land so that I just have more of a balance here? It's not just an orchard of of 300 kinds of apples, right? Because of course, that's going to attract one specific thing that's going to, that's going to wreak havoc. And I think this is, it's a really interesting way of looking at life. And I love the permaculture principles of just, it's not just about growing food. It's really about growing and making a life. And I have no clue what I'm doing, right? I mean, obviously, <laughs> no no person who knows what they do, what they're doing, will vacuum the back of all of their leaves, right? I have no idea what I'm doing. But I'm learning and I'm really excited to learn, which makes this whole process just just so much fun, right? And I, I'm, I'm walking around the land here and I'm just itching to get started. And I don't even really know, like it's January now. What am I supposed to be doing at what time? I have this feeling that, I I mean, I know we're going to have to prepare the land for how I want to grow, but the more I learn in permaculture class, the more I realize that I probably shouldn't be, first I thought, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to remove all these boulders from this area here. Then if there's a big slope that we have full of boulders and rocks, so it's a whole big area that we can't use, we can't grow there. And I thought, okay, we'll we'll remove all those boulders and we'll have more space and more land here. And I think it's it's less about that and more about figuring out how to work with what's already here, right? How to how to plant in a way that works with the natural land, not have not, you know, make not do something totally invasive and totally crazy. And I just I just want to start. 
And I know if I want to, you know, in Sweden, how it works is you have to start for a lot of stuff. You start growing indoors so that you have seedlings that are strong that you can take out when it's warm enough, hopefully after the last frost. And I don't have any space to put any seedlings in this tiny house. I really don't. I have no, I don't know where to put any seedlings. I don't know. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to go about any of this. And um, I'm going to just wing it right? I mean, that's how we do things. I'm going to just wing it and keep learning in this class. And I have people to ask for advice now, which is really, really great. And Google is always my friend. (laughs) And I I have a feeling I won't be vacuuming any plants while I'm in Sweden, but I know I'm going to make mistakes and mess up and, and that's okay, right? That's how we, that's how we learn. And I have this dream of being self-sustaining, which of course isn't going to happen this season. I think for the first season, and in, in you know, in Aruba, there's no season. Like I could grow food all year round. There was never a break of cold or a break of too much rain or a break of a shift when I couldn't grow. And in Sweden, it's totally different. The growing season actually is really, really short. And I have this feeling of like, I don't want to miss the window. I don't want to make so many mistakes that... We don't have a good first season, but I also know I'm not going to have a great first season because I don't know what I'm doing yet. And year by year, I will grow and I will learn. And I also don't know, you know, if, if this is, I know this is not our permanent forever land either. You know, this is not, I don't think in 10 years we're going to be here. I think long term we'll, we'll look for a little farm of our own somewhere with more land where we can really, really really grow and maybe really be self-sustaining. And maybe this is where I'm going to be practicing and learning. So by the time we find our, for the rest of our life farm, I'll know what to do with that (laughs) because I wouldn't know what to do with that. But I don't know, should we, should we be getting some ducks? Should we be getting some chickens? Should we be like, I, I'm, I'm really open I mean, mean, obviously it would be rescue ducks and rescue chickens that nobody would eat or harm, right? But I'm, I'm really open to, (laughs) I'm open to help. Yeah. If anybody wants to come over and (laughs) help me make make this happen. But uh, yeah, I can't believe this became a podcast about dog poop and uh, white flies and lizards. That was not what I was planning. When we moved from Aruba to Sweden, we weren't really sure what to do with our home in Aruba. We didn't want to sell the space that had so many memories and offered us a place to stay when we returned to the island. But what else could we do after moving internationally? That's when my husband came up with a brilliant plan. We can become hosts on Airbnb. Since starting this, I can officially say my husband had the best idea ever. The process of getting our property on Airbnb was so easy. We were able to ask other hosts for tips and got a lot of great feedback. And actually, we still get tons of good feedback and we're constantly improving our space. And Airbnb is really flexible. You just choose the dates you want to host. So if you don't have a full-time rental property like us, that's perfect too. Hosting on Airbnb is great for anyone who frequently travels or has the extra space or has a seasonal house or even someone who always goes away at the same time of year for family traditions or work events. We all know the cost of living is excessive right now, so you can get more out of your space when you host on Airbnb. The added income has been so important for my family and has given my husband a project to manage that he genuinely enjoys. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I wanted to share, okay, before I close the podcast, 
So we had something really big happen last night. Um, I I don't know if it, if everybody feels like this is a big deal. For me, it was a huge deal. But Leia has Leia has a loose tooth. <laughs> okay, saying it doesn't you know doesn't sound like it's like a life changing thing, but it is. For like a week, she's been saying that her bottom tooth hurts a bit, and I was just thinking maybe we're brushing too hard or I gotta gotta you know. I just I didn't think it was a big deal at all. And then yesterday she just came running and she goes, mama, you got to call the tooth fairy, call the tooth fairy. My tooth is wiggling and it's really loose. Like it's going to, it's going to fall out. I don't know today or tomorrow. Like it's really on its way. And she's four. Okay. She's, she's turning five in two months. I wasn't expecting this until six or seven. And I had one of those moments yesterday where I, I, I was, I was crying was hugging her so tight and she goes mama is this one of those times where you're gonna cry because you love me so much again and I'm like yes <laughs> this is one of those times because I just I look at her and I love her so much I can't I can't I can't I can't hang I can't deal and I don't know how this tiny little baby that I just grew in my belly just had her in my belly literally she was just born I was I just breastfeeding her. She was just in a diaper. She was just waddling around, like barely knowing how to walk. Like that just happened. And now she's this big girl about to lose a tooth who <laughs> asks to paint her nails and like decorates her own room and is, is writing and, and doing math. And <laughs> just, she's so tall. She's losing a tooth and it just... I don't know. Okay, I'm going to cry now, but it, it feels to me like time is moving too fast. I don't know if too fast is such it's, it's, it's a thing, but it's moving so fast, so quickly. She's becoming so big. And I know this is what motherhood is, but to me, losing a tooth really is a big deal. And I know she's going to lose a bunch and it's going to become like something that just happens. But to me, it feels like such a, a huge, huge, huge thing that she's really not a baby anymore. You know, she's really not little anymore. We're we're entering a new season of our lives, right? Literally, like here in the winter and moving across the world. And I also feel at the same time, we are all within the family entering a new season of our individual lives, right? As we step into this new season together, like Leia is changing and growing and Dennis is changing and growing and I'm changing and growing and there's just, there's a lot of change. <laughs> and normally when I'm sitting with a lot of change, it doesn't feel good. Like this whole year was so much change and uncertainty in a, in a, in a way that felt really bad. It just did. It felt scary. It felt awful. It felt like something that I didn't want to be. And it felt, it was too uncertain, too much. And for Dennis too, I mean, Dennis, this was the hardest year of his life. He keeps saying like, it was, it was way too much. And for Leia, it's been so unstable. It's like we've transitioned from this scary change to change that feels okay, you know, to change that feels like it's really growing us into the next step of where we're supposed to be. And when I sit with that, you know, why, 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 why is some change so hor horrible and some change feels good? The, the main difference and the one difference I can really point to is, is a sense of safety. 
right? A sense of stability of having, when we have our feet on the ground, when we feel safe, we can, we can handle anything, you know, change can come our way and we're going to be rooted enough to know that we can deal, right? We can manage it. And if something comes along that we can't manage, we can ask for help. We can figure it out together with somebody, you know, we're not alone, but when we feel unsafe, unstructured, like with us, without having a stability of a home this whole year, then every change that came my way after that felt totally unmanageable and terrifying and horrible. And now things continue to change. And it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of exciting that we're growing. It's exciting that Leia is growing into this big girl all of a sudden and we get to have these amazing conversations about, about life all day long. You know, everything that comes out of her mouth just blows my mind. And, and I'm excited about this phase of motherhood. I really am. I feel like, like the way I was crying yesterday over this loose tooth was, it was a good cry. You know, it was that kind of like, we're, we're ready for this kind of cry. It was a really grateful cry. I'm so grateful to have this family and that we have this home finally and that we get to grow together. And no one, I mean, no one could have told me six months ago that like last night I would be lying in my new couch that I love so much. Oh my God, it's it's so perfect. It's so comfy. It's so, it's so good. And in this little house that I love so much in Sweden that I suddenly love. I love Sweden now. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> in this season of this beautiful nature surrounded by these trees and, and these field mice and all of these woods here. And like, I was drinking a glass of wine, reading a book. Dennis next to me, Leia asleep. I had this, I had this moment of everything coming together, just feeling so good. Just good right? It wasn't an extraordinary moment of something wild and crazy. It was just good, you know, really good. Just all the way into the heart, soul, all the way into my own foundation. Good. And I couldn't have anticipated that in the middle of all of that scary change that was here this year. And now here we all are (laughs) losing teeth and about to grow new gardens and <laughs> nesting and sitting here recording this podcast in my chair that I carried on my own kind of awesome life all of a sudden. Shit. <laughs> I'm really grateful and I'm really happy and thank you for listening and um <laughs> Thank you for listening and I'm loving this erratic as hell podcast and I love you for for being here with me and I hope whatever change you are going through now that at least at the very heart of it you feel a sense of trust that if you're in that scary place of scary change that there's a part of you that can trust that there's going to be a time in the near future hopefully or the distant future but there's going to be a time where you get to have that good change again a place where you feel safe and growth feels like growth instead of like something is falling apart because that's the deal right to grow we gotta we gotta we gotta put some things down we gotta fall apart just a little bit so my loves take care of yourselves 
take care of nature wherever you are. Remember that that's taking care of you. Join me for our home course. I didn't talk about the home course at all. We begin March 20th. If you're feeling called to explore a deeper level of nature within yourself, um, you can go to yogagirl.com slash home course to find out more. That's also making giving me butterflies that in two months, we're going to sit in circle for seven weeks together. Life-changing, life-changing, good growth. Okay, I'm, I almost said I'm going to hang up now as if we're all on the phone together, which we kind of are, but time to go. I love you and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart, available now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, and wherever you normally get your shows. And of course, thank you to my sponsors. Make sure you support them the way they support this podcast. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week. Are you ready to return home? Join me live in spring of 2022 for a seven-week online exploration of healing practices, rituals, and tools to help you return home. Home to yourself, to your body, to your purpose, to your soul, and to this earth. We will meet in real time as you deepen your connection to yourself and Mother Nature. You'll participate in seven weeks worth of healing practices, weekly live integration sessions with me, sacred nature rituals and guided meditations, plenty of astrological insight, movement practices, and reflective journaling prompts. The path home is now clear. Join us. Enrollment is open now. Visit yogagirl.com slash home course to join me. That's yogagirl.com slash home course. Limited spots are available. See you there.